Hey, soccer fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast, where we're going to look at all things Chicago Fire and Major League Soccer. We are in episode 50. We've hit the half century mark, and I can't be more thankful to be doing the show and to have everyone who's listening, viewing, reaching out, supporting us. So a big thanks to all of you out there. In tonight's episode, we are recapping the Chicago Fire's loss to the LA Galaxy. We're going to try to take a look at what exactly went wrong, other than everything. And we are also previewing their next match against Vancouver. A quick turnaround Wednesday night match. We'll see if those tired legs can gut out another 90 minutes and maybe salvage a point at home. Also, we got a listener question regarding substitution rules in Major League Soccer, as well as some substitution strategies. So we'll make sure we address that at the end of the show. Finally, a shout out to News Across the Galaxy for having me on as their guest to preview the LA Chicago match last week. Edgar, Bryant, thank you guys for having me. I had a blast, and I encourage all of our listeners to go follow and listen to News Across the Galaxy for all things LA Galaxy. And with that, we'll be right back after that wonderful intro music. Welcome back, Fire fans, to the Feed the Fire podcast. I am your host, Nick, and as I mentioned in the little pre-music teaser, we're recapping the LA Galaxy game, we're looking forward to the Vancouver game, and we're talking MLS substitution rules at the end of the show. Without further ado, let's do what we're here to do. The LA Galaxy hosted the Chicago Fire this weekend and defeated the Chicago Fire 3-0. And this was a Galaxy team that hasn't exactly been known for scoring a lot of goals, Their leading scorer, Tyler Boyd, had four goals coming into this match. And this is only the fourth time that the Galaxy have scored three goals in a match this season. Even after a 3-0 victory over the fire, LA is still only 22nd in Major League Soccer in goal scored and has a minus nine goal differential. So they don't score much. They have terrible defense. And they beat the Chicago Fire 3-0. Sounds about right, Fire fans. Now the goals were scored by Tyler Boyd in the 29th minute, Ricky Pusch in the 72nd. And, of course, the debut, the Sheffield United legend, Billy Sharp, gets his first goal in MLS with a 90th-minute penalty kick. So, again, the Fire were beaten in three different ways, a free kick from the run of play and from the penalty spot. So they are lacking in defense in all aspects of the game. Now, the biggest talking point here came early in the first half in the 27th minute with Gaston Jimenez earning a red card. Now from the start of this match, you could tell his head was not in the game and that he would be the pivotal player with the two most pivotable, pivotal, pivotable. Where am I making up the word pivotable? Have I been working in Excel spreadsheets too long? Anyway, his two yellow cards in the first half would prove pivotal to the result of this match. Now, his first yellow card, two minutes into the game. And I will I will say, yeah, it seemed a bit harsh, especially for an official to pull a card in the second minute. But I, I can't understand it from the referee's perspective. Um, Jimenez was beat. He was behind the player. It's a slide tackle from behind that catches the player. I can't remember if he if he caught the ball. And even if he didn't, From the referee's perspective, it's a tackle from behind that takes the leg out. It's a dangerous play. So 
I can understand why the referee did that. And I would be pissed if I was the Galaxy and no card would was shown. But it's tough to do that in the second minute of a match. And so maybe I'll give Gaston a little break on this one. But as a senior player, he needs to know better. And if you're an MLS conspiracy theorist, I believe the tackle was against Ricky Bush. So the MLS has got to protect their stars, right? Got to give the cards out to anyone trying to take him out early on in the game. And maybe that's what the referee saw. Gaston trying to set a very, very physical tone with a bad tackle and needed that yellow card warning. So justifiable. Can't say I'm a huge fan of it. But the second yellow card, there's no question. It was just stupid. It's like his brain shut off. He two foot jumped. He looked like a cartoon animal trying to slam on the brakes of a runaway car with both feet. That's what he looked like. Two foot jumps on top of the Galaxy Defender's feet. And this could have been a straight red card, let alone a second yellow and uh, and a resulting soft red. Terrible, terrible play. Where was his head? I don't know. But the worst part, guys, the worst part of this, not Jimenez playing like a moron, not putting your team a man down with over an hour left to play. But when this happened, the entire team kind of got into that mindset of, ah, here we go again. We're going to have to dig ourselves out of a hole. Even if it's not a goal down, we're a man down. And then you know what? They went a goal down because the ensuing free kick was just a terrible display of defending leading to the Galaxy's first goal. It was a free kick that was so poorly defended in several levels. And and one thing, you can always blame on the guy who misses his mark. You know, and in this case, Navarro uh, lets Boyd go get behind him. And he's looking around, he's looking at the official for an offside call because he thinks that might be the only way to bail himself out of his terrible defending. But there are usually in every goal allowed there are several breakdowns and it starts one with Jimenez picking up the red card secondly Gutierrez and Shakiri are the two-man wall in this and two-man wall is, is generous you know Gutierrez is trying to position himself and he's looking around he doesn't know where to stand Shakiri doesn't even stand next to Gutierrez he couldn't even be bothered to be in the wall he's just loafing about he's not even looking at the ball when it's played Now, I'm not saying he should be ball watching, but at least know when the kick is coming in. He was not even paying attention when the kick was played. The ball gets played in. uh, I forget which Galaxy player it receives the header. But that player is being defended by tallest man on the pitch, Carlos Tehran, who loses the header. Now, again, it's a low ball, so maybe his height wasn't as much of an advantage, but he still needs to... Stop backpedaling when the free kick comes in and establish some position to win uh, win the header or win the ball. He does not. The ball gets headed down behind Miguel Navarro, who loses Tyler Boyd, is literally spun in a circle. Go back and watch the replay, and Boyd nets it. So you have your leaders in Shakiri and Gutierrez slacking off. Your tallest player, biggest player, biggest defensive presence in the match, missing his mark. And your first choice outside back in Miguel Navarro spun in a circle by the leading goal scorer of the other team. Maybe you mark him a little bit, little bit tighter, right? And additionally, free kicks, both offensively and defensively, it's all about practice and repetition and coaching, something that the fire have lacked all season. Now, the second goal is just more of the same transition defending we've come to expect from the fire. Actually, go find my tweet because I actually have the still image of five uh, Chicago Fire players, four of which are out of position, allowing Ricky Pusha a free shot on goal. 
Navarro does pick up Diego Costa as he enters, or Douglas Costa as he enters their defensive third, but just keeps backpedaling and backpedaling and backpedaling. And all of the sudden, the LA Galaxy attacker, Douglas Costa, in at least on paper, their second best player, is now in your penalty box without you actually trying to challenge him. Maybe he's trying, maybe Navarro doesn't want to ruin his challenge stats. I don't know. But he, Costa dribbles right into the box. Meanwhile, the rest of the defense continually is backpedaling. Hooch makes a good run, not a great one. He makes a run just to get square with Costa, and there's no fire defenders around him despite him being about 12 yards from the goal. He's wide open. He even has enough time to like pop the ball up and set himself up for a volley, which, great finish. Great finish to put it just inside the near post, but still, had a fire defender maybe marked him Maybe if Dumbia wasn't ball watching, maybe if the other three defenders weren't backpedaling to Ron Chihos and uh, I forget who else was back there, then they could have stepped up and made the shot a little bit more difficult and Push maybe puts it wider off the post. But again, typically, typical fire transition defense, backpedal, 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 hope Chris Brady bails you out. And on the third goal, just one of those nights, right? Jonathan Dean, who otherwise had a very solid game for the fire, Gets beat in the box, gives a little tug on the attacker's jersey, and who goes down. Nothing much you can say or do. He knew it when the whistle was blown. The fire tried to argue it. No, pretty clear, a penalty. And again, Billy Sharp gets his first goal. So let's take a look at the statistics and see if they match up with this eye test of just the fire playing at a lower energy level, a lower skill, a lower just everything than the LA Galaxy in this match. The Galaxy won the possession battle 64-36, and that does not surprise me at all. The Fire did have 12 shots, four on goal. That is actually a little bit better, but if you look at their their shooting chart, one, two, three, four, five of them, a lot of them, those shots on goal, their, their higher percentage shooting actually came early on in the first half. They were unable to regain any sort of offensive form. Um, so while overall the stats look okay, it never it, it, it was never going to be a sustainable pace for them, and they never were able to even create some better opportunities later in the game, with one exception I'll address in a minute. Uh, two block shots, only 353 total passes, but they did complete it at an 86.4% completion rate. But when you have that few passes with 35% possession, again, the fire are playing in their own half. Meanwhile, LA, 654 passes. I've never seen a higher passing accuracy number in, in tracking at least fire games. 94.7% completion percentage for the LA Galaxy. The Chicago Fire were not playing defense, plain and simple. The Fire had six corners, 12 crosses, and no offside. Are they pushing the ball forward? Doesn't really seem like it. Uh, another statistic that stands out, Chris Brady made six saves on the night, whereas the Galaxy goalie Jonathan Bond had four saves on the night. So at least the fire tested him early, but could not continue and, and get that goal. Meanwhile, Chris Brady, six saves. This could have been a terrible game for the Chicago Fire from a scoreboard standpoint if it weren't for Chris Brady. And my goodness, I feel so bad that the defense has let Chris Brady down. Chris Brady could be a top 10 maybe a top five goalie in MLS from a statistical standpoint, at least if the defense played a little bit better. Anyway, maybe that's a hot take. Maybe that's going out on a limb, but we'll never know because the defense won't play better. 
Here's the other thing. Two yellow cards and a red card, all from Gaston Jimenez. By the way, the Chicago Fire are third in the league with yellow cards earned. 66, only behind Charlotte and Red Bulls who have 69 yellow cards. They're also tied for the most red cards in the league at five with Houston and Nashville. So there you go. An undisciplined team, as we have pointed out most shows. And if you want to look at the expected goals, the Chicago Fire had 1.1 expected goal and the Galaxy had 1.9. Now, 1.1 doesn't sound too terrible. However, 0.47 of that 1.1, so about half of the Fire's expected goal, came from Jairo Torres's shot in the 90-plus minute uh, that went off the crossbar. I think he was right around the 90th minute or so. Um, yeah, so he hits the cross right after the 90th minute. He hits the crossbar. That's their best opportunity the entire game. Again, extremely late in the game. So in some, this was a match of the same old fire. And people have been asking me, what does that mean, same old fire? Like we see that in other media coverage, whether it be um, Adnan Besic uh, with his writing for MLS Multiplex, whether it be in the Men in Red, uh, their coverage of the fire, uh, whether it's Joe Chats on uh, on Tap Sportsnets, a lot of people are using the phrase same old fire. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. You, you miss early opportunities, you dig yourself into a hole, whether with goals, dumb plays, or in tonight, both, you mentally check out early and spend the rest of the game just playing catch-up, just chasing the match. That's the same old fire, and that's the same old fire who haven't made the playoffs but once in a decade. That concludes the first half of our show and our fire recap. We're going to take a sponsor break and look ahead at some better things. Not just our sponsor, but also the game that hasn't been played yet against Vancouver. So I want to remind everyone that our show is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water, clearly, pun intended. It is one of the best. And a big thank you to Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Make sure you go out and find it at your local 7-Eleven. And I have heard that it's popping up at some Walgreens in New York. Maybe that's just some advanced marketing rumors. Um, but go find yourself a bottle of this great, great product. And when I was in Iceland last year, uh, by the way, a nice two-for-one deal on Iceland national team jerseys. Grabbed, grabbed a couple of those. Uh, they actually had a sign in my hotel that says, we don't use bottled water here. Uh, one, for the environment, and two, because our tap water is as good as any country's bottled water. So yeah, you know Icelandic bottled water, top, top quality. Now, you typically will have our segment from John Donovan here, but no audio tonight. John was able to send me in, though, his, his concise thoughts of the match. And this is what I got from John in a message. Quote, We've got to wipe out Klopas, end quote. <laughs> I think I should just leave it right there, right? John goes on to say, that name cannot appear with the Chicago Fire in any way, shape, or form. He's been so destructive to this team. The coach from Orlando was out of contract. The coach for Portland would be a great addition. Johnny Torres, more on him, would be a good addition. There's so many guys other than Klopas and his buddies. It would be so upsetting to this community to see the same stuff keep coming through. The Chicago Fire need a clean sweep. And that's the message from John Donovan in lieu of his audio clip tonight. I do want to mention uh, he references Johnny Torres, who was a player at Creighton University. And Creighton was and is an excellent, excellent school for men's soccer. 
Uh, he's currently coaching Creighton University's men's soccer team and has put a number of players. And and supposedly, I haven't fact checked this. Like he he's coached the most number of collegiate players that have gone to MLS out of any collegiate coach. So he's got a great track record with developing young talent. Uh, and also, he played professional soccer for a number of years. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So he played for three seasons, I believe, in MLS. I think he came up with uh, his first shot was with the Revs back in like 2000 or so, I want to say. Also played in the A-League, which was the precursor precursor to USL, and then also played in USL and Major Indoor Soccer League. And you know, he even had two appearances with the Chicago Fire back in 2002. So Johnny Torres is a guy that John Donovan has scouted has found and has said that he could he should be given a coaching opportunity in major league soccer again developing young players has some experience professionally in this country and honestly the fire can't do worse and that's not a shot at johnny torres that's a shot at all the other coaches they've hired in the last decade now let's look ahead we got to quickly look ahead because the fire have to quickly look ahead it's a midweek matchup saturday lost to the galaxy and they're back home on wednesday to host the Whitecaps of Vancouver, August 30th, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. Now, Vancouver are seventh in the Western Conference on 34 points, but they haven't been very good on the road, 2-5-3. and three. Chicago still sit ninth in the Eastern Conference on 32 points, and they haven't been very good, period. Yeah. Now, Vancouver is going to focus its attack to and through Ryan Gold. The 27-year-old Scotsman has nine goals, and seven assists on the season. He could he could be a double double guy. That's impressive. Fellow striker Brian Wright, Brian White, pardon me, also has nine goals and four assists. So those are going to be the focal points of the attack. Also, Julian Gressel getting in down the wings, playing in crosses. We all know that he has an is an excellent passer and an even better crosser of the ball. And more on some crossing statistics shortly. Now, this is not a good matchup for the Chicago Fire, in my opinion. And if you know me, you know I don't have high opinions about the Fire right now. The Fire really don't have a good record against playoff teams or teams ahead of them in the standings. And just look at what has happened over their last eight games, right? The two wins, or I'm sorry, the two losses that they had prior to the Galaxy match were against Orlando City. The other four teams that they played, Portland, Kansas City, Montreal, were all below them in the standings. And I forget who that four, that other fourth team was. But again, below them, Toronto, below them in the standings, right? They, they can beat the bad teams, but they can't beat the good teams. And now they're not even beating other bad teams like the Galaxy. Sorry, Galaxy fans. Sorry, news across the Galaxy for just saying that. So it's not a good matchup in terms of the fire getting up or playing down to, to level level of competition, right? Additionally, Vancouver's a good offensive team. They get the ball forward quickly. They have excellent counterattacking. And like we said, they get the ball down into the channels, into the corners, and Russell can play a lot of crosses in. The Fire have not done a very good job contending with crosses this season. Hopefully, Tehran, Chihos, Pineda can step their game up. And hopefully, we've got Navarro on the left wing. We'll see how tired he is, though. Uh, able to run down. He's fast. I'll give it to them. He's fast. If he can run down Gressel or whoever's getting into space for Vancouver. The problem is you've got Miguel Navarro, who's gassed. He played a full 90 against the Galaxy. You've got Jonathan Dean, who's probably going to need a rest. And who are you going to bring in? 31-year-old Arnosuke? 
that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Are we going to see a CF2 player, Chicago Fire second team player, MLS Next Pro player make get an appearance here? Are we going to see a five-man back line to try and contain some of these, these runners? All options are on the table when you're fighting for your playoff lives here. Additionally, to add on to the plot line that Vancouver is an excellent offensive team, uh, they have scored 41 goals this season. That's the second most in the West and seventh overall in MLS. They are second in the league in expected goals with 40.5, and they are second in the league on expected assisted goals with 30.1. So they are playing very well as a team. Also, Vancouver averages about 14 shots per game, which is what the Galaxy were averaging. Uh, so we, we saw how that shook out. If they're going to shoot a lot, Chris Brady's going to come up with six, seven, eight, gosh, maybe nine saves, but he's not going to be able to save them all if the defense is letting the shots come in from inside their own penalty spot. And finally, here's that crossing statistic. Vancouver leads the league in completed crosses into the penalty area with 80. They have 80 completed crosses into the penalty area. So you've got to think that they're getting about 80 shots off of crosses. The next highest team is Seattle with 68. And I haven't watched Seattle play. I didn't think they were much of a, of a cross into the box kind of a team. Uh, but still, Vancouver is 12 completed crosses ahead of the next best team. So we know what their game plan is going to be. Transition, corners, and uh, get into the corners and cross it in. Catch the fire napping. Catch the fire out of position. We'll see if the fire are up for the challenge defensively. Now, offensively, where the fire might have an advantage is, is in goalkeeping. And not just looking at Brady versus Vancouver's goalkeeper, Yohai Takaoka from Japan, but... Takaoka doesn't have the best save percentage. Vancouver's led in goals. Their defense has been suspect at times this season, though they have been improving as of late. So if, if the fire can sustain pressure, big if, if the fire can sustain pressure, if they can come out like they did against the Galaxy and rack up four, five, six decent shots in the first 15, 20 minutes or so, they might be able to score early and then kind of dictate the tempo of the game. That's a big ask. Not so much the scoring early, but for a fire team who doesn't really have um, a, a midfielder who is known for possession and dictating tempo, the guy we all want Gutierrez to be, uh, I, it'll be hard for them to maintain that. But that early goal, if they can go up one nothing in the 20th, that will go a long way in the settling this team down. And then maybe you do see a Fede Navarro and Usman Dumbia, uh, a Mauricio Pineda, moving up into a, a defensive mid-spot for the suspended Gaston Jimenez, being able to work some passing around with Gutierrez or with their back line. Looking at the odds here, BetMGM this Tuesday night, the 29th, have the Fire at plus 115, Vancouver at plus 190, and the Draw at plus 275. So the Fire are slight favorites, probably because they're the home team, but it's essentially a toss-up, I think. And, and guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it until the fire prove me wrong. I can't pick them to win a match despite the odds, despite being at home, and despite Vancouver traveling halfway across the continent. Because, you know, maybe they're traveling a little later than the fire, but the fire did it coming back from L.A. So I don't think there's much of a travel advantage this match for the fire. The fire also kind of showed some tired legs on Saturday. And Vancouver, in their win against Portland, 
They went up three to one, made a bunch of subs. So their guys might be just a little bit more rested than the Chicago Fire. So again, I am taking Vancouver to come to Chicago and to win two to one, keep their good form going, and the Fire to maintain their current not good form. Finally, as we close out the show, a little bit of uh, trivia here. Mauricio Pineda, the Chicago Fire homegrown, who just got his contract extended earlier this year. If he makes the, if he gets on into the game, it will be his 100th appearance for the Chicago Fire, and he'll be the first Chicago Fire homegrown to reach that milestone. So, so hopefully we get to see Mario, something that the fans can cheer for, a guy who's been excellent, a guy who I, I had a hot take probably three years ago uh, when I was on my old podcast, Sons of a Pitch, saying like this guy might be uh, a, a center back of the year, like a, a top 11 center back. Didn't quite pan out that way, but he has been nothing but a solid and great player for the Chicago Fire. Solid MLS center back, great player for the Fire this season. Now, I mentioned it before. We got a listener question in. We got an email from Alex P. And if you'd like to have a question addressed or a comment read aloud, please email me, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter. My direct messages are open at glasshouse. Soccer, spelled S-O-C-C-R, due to character limits. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Twitter for that. But here's Alex's question. Um, or first of all, let's start with a comment. Alex's comment about the Chicago Fire. They'll make you watch the whole season only to be eliminated at the end. I think I'd rather be a Toronto fan and know your season's over in May than have anxious hope all year. That's tough. I know some Toronto fans, and I don't know if they'd agree with you, but I get where you're coming from, man. And it's all Chicago sports teams that do that who are like, this is it. This is the year. And it just doesn't pan out. But they do, like you said, they do just enough to keep you in it, right? Right before League's Cup break, the fire rattle off, four or five wins, five of six wins, get that playoff spot. So all everyone has for a month of League's Cup to talk about is how the fire are in the playoffs, and then they come back and lose two in a row outscored six to one in that span but here's alex's question he says could you go over for us mls fans not as versed in the rules why we aren't substituting guys in the first half as soon as they get a yellow card so let me give the rule and let me give you my take on it so here is the game day rosters rule from major league soccer's competition guidelines each team can select a maximum of 20 players 11 starters and nine subs for its official match roster Teams are allowed a maximum of five normal substitutions per game to be used over the course of three opportunities or windows, excluding halftime and match delays, but including cooling and or drink breaks. Additionally, MLS will continue to implement the concussion substitutes initiative. This initiative allows teams to make up to two concussion subs during a match to replace players with concussions or suspected concussions, regardless of the number of normal substitutions already used. If a team elects to use a concussion substitution, its opponent will receive an additional substitution and opportunity or window. So that is taken right from the MLS competitions guidelines webpage of MLSsoccer.com. So essentially, here's here's to, to put it down in layman's terms, right? Just just like I used to do when I was an attorney. I'm going to give you the legal synopsis, and then, Judge, I'll break it down so you can make your ruling quite easy in my client's favor. Teams get five subs a game to be used during three substitution windows. You get three opportunities to make five subs. If you make a sub at halftime, that doesn't count against one of your three windows. 
if you use a concussion substitution, doesn't count against one of your windows, but your opponent gets another sub and opportunity to make up for it. So that's what that is. However, using a sub during a cooling or a drink break, that would count against uh, one of your three windows to make a substitution. So you're asking, Alex, why don't we see earlier subs? Why don't we see first half subs? Now, we've there are instances where coaches will make first half subs, though it's rare, or will make halftime subs. Most of the time I see that as the coach sending a message to his team that either this guy's dogging it and I'm going to draw attention to it and y'all better pick your game up or he's telling everyone on the team, you guys are not playing as expected. You guys are dogging it. You're not looking good. You're playing like crap. The fans are booing. I'm going to pull one of you out to make a point. That's usually where we see those first half substitutions. And, you know, speaking of, of be, wanting to be a Toronto fan, we've seen Bob Bradley, I think, do it more than any other coach in recent memory. A lot of good it did him in TFC. But substitutions really are at the discretion of the manager. And and it was a problem to bring it back to the fire. It was a problem under Ezra Hendrickson and occasionally an issue with Klopas here. Hendrickson, his substitution patterns were predictable. You could set the train uh, schedules. You could set your watch to his subs. It was like 60th minute, 65th, 80th minute. And it was always like, center mid winger striker like he he almost used the exact same patterns of, of, of subs during the times the players the positions now klopas though has been praised for making the right subs in some games and criticized for well rather curious subs in other games like just subbing in wingers all the time so substitutions has not been something that the fire have done well and it and it speaks to the coaching and their lack of tactical understanding as well as their lack of adjustment during games but Alex, let me get back to your point about yellow cards here. You will see coaches use their subs to protect players on yellow cards, uh, especially in the second half. If, if you have a player who's on a yellow uh, and, and you think he's making some rash challenges still, or if you see the opposing team start targeting him, then yeah, they will substitute that player out. But the bigger concern that I think is on most coaches' minds is you need to res reserve your substitutions for the second half, uh, for fitness, as well as for strategy and tactics. Soccer players uh, typically run six-ish miles per game, and they are playing like live game time about 50 to 60 minutes, depending on the league and the match and, and you know, kind of what numbers you're following. You should be able to get to, as a professional soccer player, you should be able to get to 60 minutes uh, without being so obviously tired that you need to substitute. And so the coaches want to save these. They're almost like timeouts in the NBA and in the NFL. The coaches want to save these. So that way, if there is a player who is noticeably tired and is a weak link, they can be substituted for fresh legs. Or tactically, you want to say, look, we're winning the game. We need to go defensive. I'm going to pull out an attacking player and put in a defending player or vice versa. We're down. It's getting late. I need to pull some defenders, sub in some more attacking-minded players, and go try and get an equalizer or a game winner. Additionally, coaches are going to want to save that fifth sub for an unexpected injury because if a player goes down and is injured and has to leave the game and you don't have any subs left, now the concussion protocol is accepted here, right? If you don't have any subs left, then you are stuck playing a man down. So they usually want to save that one substitution in the event of an emergency injury. So that is kind of the rationale between why you don't see 
coaches subbing out for yellow card protection uh, and why they're not using all of their substitutions and sub games. Alex, feel free to email me or message me if you got any follow-up to that and make sure that you understand it or if there's anything else you'd like to hear. So with that, everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to the Feed the Fire podcast, episode 50. I'm your host, Nick, signing off, saying let's go fire.